0: Uh, this morning, as uh, we're, we're beginning to wind down uh, this series that we've dubbed Reset, uh, I thought it would be a good idea for us to look at a very familiar passage with most of us. Uh, Psalm 23 is pretty popular. Uh, most people, uh, if, if you're familiar with Christianity at all, you've at least heard some of the elements of this chapter uh, in, in, in the book of Psalms. And it, it's a passage that's typically read at funerals. And and so we're pretty familiar with it, but this psalm is not just applicable to to funerals, it's it's something that can apply to our lives each and every day because when it actually talks about the valley of the shadow of death, that's not specifically meaning uh, death, it's simply meaning a very dark and dangerous place along a pathway or a road. We're gonna get into that uh, here in a moment, but when when we think of the idea of reset, so often it, it's uh, it's important for us to take a step back from the chaos of our lives and school starting back and, and, and all of just the crazy things that are going on in our lives. Many times it's important for us to just take a step back and take a moment to remember uh, the bigger picture. R- remember who is working behind all of this. Remember who is in charge and uh, where we can find rest and comfort and, and provision from. And so that's the goal this morning is to uh, kind of take a moment to reset and, and realize where everything we have come from, comes from, where everything we need comes from. And so we're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning. Um, I would, uh, Byron is in Dalhart this morning. He hasn't run away. He's coming back. Um... He, he's in Dalhart uh, at a church of a, of a dear friend of his, a lifelong friend that, that's been struggling. Uh, he, he's filling in there this week, and so that's where he's at this morning. Um, don't worry, he is, he's coming back. He hasn't run away or anything like that. Um, so, uh, this morning, let's, let's just go on and read this entire chapter. It's only six verses, so some of y'all started getting a little worried when I said we were doing a whole chapter. It's not very long. Uh, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever let's pray heavenly father we thank you for the promises given in this chapter uh we we thank you for uh this imagery and and god we thank you that this these metaphors and these images that are given to us in this chapter can be made a reality in our own lives, God, that you are the good shepherd, you are the one who supplies our needs, you are the one who comforts us, you are the one who protects us. God, we thank you so much for these promises. And uh, this morning, I just pray that they're made real to people in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get into this, um, the the first couple verses there, verse one and two, they they refer to the Lord as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So, a shepherd's job, I think, it's pretty understandable, is to take care of the sheep. He he has a flock of sheep, and uh, it's his job to lead them around to go find green grass to eat, to lead them to uh, to, to water so that they can drink, and make sure that the water's clean. Um, the shepherd has a lot of jobs, and and how he protects and watches over his flock. But the 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 gist of it is the shepherd's responsibility is to take care of the sheep and and, and this is a uh, this is a really good illustration to be used in in both the old testament and the new testament because everyone would have known what a shepherd did okay every it's, it's a primarily um, agrarian society especially in the old testament uh, but even in the New Testament, as, as things shifted and there were more merchants and things like that, they, they still would have had a very good understanding of this imagery uh, of, of God being a shepherd. They, they would have understood that. They would have said, okay, I know what a shepherd does. I, I know all of these things. And so this was a very good illustration for the audience uh, of this book. And, and really, it's, it's a good illustration for us because it's, like I said, not that difficult to understand what a shepherd is does and Jesus okay is is the good shepherd he's the ultimate shepherd who watches over his flock and I I want us to go to John chapter 10 because Jesus is referring to himself as a shepherd in John chapter 10 and it goes along perfectly with what we're already reading about him in Psalm 23 so in John chapter 10 starting in verse 1 Jesus says truly truly I say to you They will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying to them. So Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd. And, and so I want you to kind of um, I want you to kind of imagine this. So, so back then, they, they didn't necessarily have uh, pens like we do, and, and they didn't have pro, uh, necessarily property boundaries the same way we do. Um, people would just move their sheep around to different places, uh, kind of do some free grazing. Um, if you've watched the movie Open Range, you know that we don't like that anymore. Uh, and, and, but what would happen is there would typically be a, um, oftentimes a communal uh, courtyard or pen, or, or sometimes it was made out of stone, sometimes it was a natural structure that worked as a pen. Uh, but people at nighttime, uh, the shepherds would bring all of their sheep into this pen, and if it was a communal courtyard, um, there would be several different flocks, but the, the amazing thing about this, and I've seen videos of this, and, and uh, the internet doesn't lie, so it has to be true, um, when Jesus says that his sheep hear his name, if you've seen videos of this, and I've also seen, uh, I've also listened to First-hand accounts of people who have been in Greece and other areas where, where shepherding is still popular. When there's two flocks together or multiple flocks together, the sheep that belong to a specific shepherd actually know his voice. And when he calls to his sheep, you can just watch the flock separate and go towards their separate shepherds. Okay, that's a real thing. That happens. And, and, and what Jesus is saying here, the image he's setting up is this idea of him being the good shepherd. His flock is protected within this pen by him. And the flock knows his name. When it's time to lead them to water or to green pastures, he comes and they know his name, they follow him, and he leads them to to, to the provisions that they need. And the imagery of, of this uh, courtyard it, it is so amazing because... Uh, it, it shows us two things, really, because um, most of these courtyards didn't have actually gates. That's why they call it the gate. That's why they say that there's a gatekeeper, because either the shepherd himself or a hired hand for him would actually stand in the opening of these courtyards to, to not let the sheep wander out on their own and to not let anyone in. And so their job is twofold, their job is, number one, to make sure that no one comes in and steals the sheep, okay? Uh, whether it be, um, you, we, you read about David in the Old Testament fighting bears and all kinds of things, trying to get the sheep. And so their job was to make sure that they don't have any wild animals or bears or wolves trying to get into the pen to kill the sheep. And so they're, they're watching the whole pen, making sure that nothing's coming in. But they're also watching the individual sheep to make sure that they're not wandering out the gate into danger on their own. And both of these elements are gonna really speak into what we're gonna talk about this morning because Jesus is the good shepherd in that he watches over and protects his flock as a whole. He keeps the wolves away. He keeps the bears away. He keeps the thieves away. But he also watches his flock and his sheep as individuals, to make sure that they don't wander off into danger. And, and so this is a really, uh, really beautiful image that, that Jesus is, is creating of himself here with, with being the good shepherd. And so I wanna touch on that first aspect in that Jesus watches over the flock as a whole. Okay, he he's, um, he's, has a gatekeeper, he, he is the gatekeeper, Okay, He is the one with the rod and the staff Watching over the sheep And so when things try to attack his flock He fights them away He he doesn't allow his flock to be killed uh, Or destroyed or stolen And and That's something that we really need to do a better job Of grasping as modern conservative Christians Because I feel like a lot of times we feel like Um, Christ doesn't quite have control of how things are going on in the world, okay? I think we're extremely guilty of being gripped by uh, fear and, and lacking trust in Jesus, lacking trust in his overall plan of redemption, lacking trust in the idea of him having everything under control. We have to understand that the shepherd is the one that leads the flock, The shepherd's the one that keeps the wolves away and so many times as conservative Christians, we have forgotten that of late. And we have to remember that. We're about to get started back into our uh, study through Revelation And, and one of the primary themes through that, there's many themes in that book, but one of the top three themes in that book is the idea of God preserving his church through everything. That's one of the main themes in that entire letter is is the idea of God carrying and keeping and preserving his people through everything. And we have to remember that. God doesn't need us to fulfill his purpose. God doesn't need us to make his plan work. God doesn't need the Republican Party to make his plan work. God doesn't even need the United States of America to make his plan work. He's got it under control. But so, so often, there, there's too many of us as believers that believe if things don't go just right politically over the next few years, then, then Christianity will fail. All is lost if everything, if this guy doesn't get voted in or if this doesn't go just right, we're, we're just consumed with fear. Okay, we, we listen to way too much Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson, and, and we're just, we can't even sleep at night because we're so scared that Western civilization and Christianity will fall if everything doesn't go just right. If your faith is that fragile, you need to do some serious self examination because you're not trusting in the Good Shepherd enough. Okay, I mean, think of, uh, and, and I know most of you aren't shepherds. But let's bring it a little closer to home. Most of us have pets, okay? Most of us have um, probably a dog or a cat if you're one of those people. Um, sorry. Uh, but if you think about your pets, okay, your, your pets don't really think that much about like who's taking care of them. I know our, ours don't, okay? They've got the couch. They've got food available all the time that they eat all the time. Uh, they just don't, they're not really concerned about anything, okay and and oftentimes uh kids are the same way like if you have children um they don't really think about like where their meals are coming from they don't really put that much thought into who's taking care of them because they just have this childlike trust they're just like oh mom and dad's got it um or um or, or your pets are just they don't even think about it they're just like oh there's just food here every time i show up it's just magic there's just food there um and, and and so if you think about you know let's bring that a little closer to home if you if you're not a shepherd you you have children or you have pets or you have some something or someone in your life that depends on you to care for them and, and and most of the time they don't even really think about where that provision or that care comes from they just have this trust that they're going to be taken care of and, and That's, remember, that's the image that Jesus is creating with these sheep, okay? Those sheep aren't, you know, they're not sitting in the pen like, man, I really hope the shepherd can find some grass tomorrow. They don't sit there and worry about that, okay? They're sheep. They just think about ways they can die. Um, If you've ever raised sheep, you know what I'm talking about. um, And and so they don't really put that much thought into it because there's just this trust that, hey, the shepherd's going to lead us to water, The shepherd's going to lead us to grass. We don't really put that much thought into it. And so as believers, I'm not saying that we should like be blissfully ignorant. I'm not saying that we should just never concern ourselves with anything, okay? We need to be wise. We need to be aware. I'm not saying that you just completely turn everything off, but we should have this childlike or this sheep-like faith in our shepherd that everything's going to be taken care of, we, we should have this trust. You shouldn't sit up at night worrying about, uh, the, worrying about the next election, We're worrying about what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there. There should be this, this level of trust in, in Christ to carry out his purposes. The church does not depend on you. The success or the failure of the church does not depend on you. The endurance of the church does not depend on you. It depends on Jesus, and he's already promised us that he's got it. And it's not just the church as a whole, the big C church across the world, all believers together. Jesus is definitely speaking of that. He's got that in control. But also at the local level, here at First Baptist Spearman, Jesus is in control of this church as well. Okay, it doesn't depend on any one person or any group of people to make this church fail or succeed. Ultimately, the results are in Jesus' hands. <clears throat> okay, if you're depending on Byron and I to, like, make this church succeed, you're in trouble, okay? I'm not gonna make fun of him much because I still think he's recovering from the beard comment from a couple weeks ago, but <laughs> if you're trusting in me, if you're like, hey, that guy's gonna carry FBC Spearman. I mean, it took me three years to get through junior college. <clears throat> I... I can't even baptize people that well, okay? When I, when I first got into the ministry, I had to, we were having a baptismal service, and uh, I was going to baptize them. And so the, the first one up was this, like, little 9- or 10-year-old kid. And, you know, I, I thought baptism was pretty easy. You just stick them under the water and pull them out. Um, so, like, we didn't go over anything, like, keep your mouth closed, you know, cover your... We didn't talk about any of that. I was just like, poof, and... He comes up, coughing, spitting up water. There's snot running out of his nose. His dad was next in line to get baptized, and and he's like 6'5". He's super tall, and so I start to baptize him. Well, he's so tall that, like, I can't really get him all the way under, and so I'm having to bend over, and I I start to lose my balance. I just have to let him go, and catch myself and I'm just like grabbing by the robe and pull him up and (laughs) there was another kid a high schooler he was going to get baptized last and he's at the top of the stairs like looking down at the baptistry like no No." (laughs) and and my point to that is um, as pastors okay uh, I know I know people refer to pastors as shepherds a lot and and that's true in a sense The, the Bible does refer to pastors as shepherds but we're really under shepherds because we're only sheep that God has placed in an under shepherd position we're just like you like we said a couple weeks ago Byron and I are are imperfect people saved by the grace of God who are just doing the best we can just like every one of you and and so we're not going to be the ones to hang your hopes on we're going to let you down And maybe some of you need to apply that to yourselves too. Maybe some of you are putting way too much pressure on yourself, way too much faith in yourself to be the glue that holds everything together here. Maybe you have this mindset, well, this isn't going to get done right if I'm not there or if I don't correct that problem, it's not going to get done. And you just have all of this anxiety. You have all of this pressure on yourself because you think it all relies on you. And again, I'm not saying that you should just turn everything off and just ignore all the problems. I mean, the New Testament commands us time and time again to be diligent in our own personal lives and following Christ and battling sin. We're to be diligent in the things we do as a local church, and we should help one another, we should encourage one another, we should correct one another. Okay, there's all sorts of things that we're supposed to be doing that we're commanded to do, but... While we're working hard at those things, we also have to remind ourselves that it ultimately does not rely on us. It relies on the good shepherd. We're not the make or break for the church as a whole. We're not the make or break for uh, this local church. Jesus is the one that holds it together. Jesus is the shepherd. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that or we're going to end up setting ourselves on a pedestal. We're going to end up setting ourselves um, up so high that we can't handle the weight of our own image that we've built in our mind. And we're also going to belittle the image of Christ. We're going to belittle the authority and the power that Christ has because we think that it relies on us jesus is the good shepherd he's the one that leads us to the still waters the one that leads us to those green pastures it's also important for us to understand that jesus is not just concerned with the flock as a whole I think so often, um, and, and here at First Baptist Spearman, we preach constantly on the aspect of community, the importance of the local church, the importance of the assembly, because that's the way that Jesus designed Christianity to be, to be lived out. We're supposed to be part of a community, uh, where we are saved into a communal relationship with Jesus, however, we can't forget that Jesus also cares for the individual, It's not just about the whole. He cares for his sheep individually as well. Think of that image um, with with the courtyard and and the stone wall. He's not just keeping wolves and bears and thieves away from coming over the wall to steal his sheep and protecting the flock as a whole. He's standing in the gate to protect the individual sheep from wandering off. And and this idea is is, uh, portrayed beautifully in Luke chapter 15. We see the significance of Jesus' love for the individual in Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 3, Jesus, uh, so he told told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And there's a lot that's wrapped up in this parable, but what I want to focus on this morning is the love and the care that Jesus has for the individual, okay? Because we have a communal relationship with other believers and with Christ, but we also have a personal relationship with Jesus. We have a personal Savior that cares for the individual. And the reason this is important because I think a lot of times it's easy for us to forget that Jesus actually cares about what we're going through as individuals. I think it's easy for us to feel like we're unseen, like we're not heard, like no one cares, like Jesus has kind of forgotten about us as an individual and, and, and we're just kind of in this on our own. It's easy for us to slip into that place. So we have to really understand that Jesus cares about you as an individual, it's not just the whole that he's concerned with. He cares about the individual sheep. And we see this all through scripture. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus says in John 10, 28, that no one or nothing can snatch us out of his hand. He said, if the father has given you to me, you can be totally secure in that nothing can snatch you out of my hand. We read a couple weeks ago in Romans 8, 28 through 30 uh, that Jesus is working within each of us as individuals and he's leading us to glory. He's producing something within us that's going to lead to us being in eternity with him. That's on an individual basis. In Psalm 56, 8, it tells us that God keeps count of our tossings and our tears are kept in a bottle. That's how much God cares about you as an individual. David, while writing Psalm 23, David went through a lot of really dark times. He was chased by Saul for years. Uh, It was a very bittersweet ending to the ending of that because when Saul finally died and David was able to to not run for his life constantly and he was finally made king, um, David's best friend, who was Saul's son, also died. And so uh, that was a very bittersweet thing for David. He had a pretty good run, but he fell into sin with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And from that point forward, um, he, he lost a child. His entire household was in chaos. His, his sons were killing one another. One of his sons was, uh, was actually trying to overthrow him. And so David went through a lot of really tough things in life, but at the, he can still write Psalm 23 and he can still know that God cares about him as an individual. God knows exactly what's happening to him as an individual. He's keeping count of his tossings and his tears are kept in a bottle. So we have this promise that God is not just concerned about the the church as a whole, he's concerned about the individual members of the church. He knows what you're going through. He sees your battle with sin. He sees the hardship that you're going through. He sees your grief. He sees your distress. He sees your agony. And he doesn't take that lightly. And he promises to carry you through it. He's the good shepherd. He watches over the flock. And he watches over the individual sheep and cares for each and every one of them. That's who we have as our good shepherd we have to understand though that just this protection and this provision okay jesus protects us through danger and through hardship he doesn't keep danger and hardship away from us okay go back to psalm 23 and verse 4 it says even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil And so what this is referring to, this valley of the shadow of death, it's not not specifically speaking of uh, passing from life to death. It's speaking of um, any sort of low spot in a path or a road where you're walking through. Uh, Think about um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, and if you've ever heard anyone preach on that or studied it for yourself, uh, you'll know that the road that, that the man was that got beaten was taking, it, it was a very rough road. There was a portion of it to where um, you couldn't see very well. There were lots of turns and corners, and there was a lot of brush along the road, and it was easy for thieves to hide. It was a very easy place to be mugged, and, and so that could have been referred to um, as a valley of the shadow of death. It's this spot along the path or the road that's extremely dangerous and and that danger is always lurking. And so that's the imagery that Jesus is setting up and and David is is teaching us in this psalm. He, He doesn't say that he's going around the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say that the valley of the shadow of death is completely done away with. He's saying, even though I'm walking straight through it, I shall fear no evil. See, Jesus never promises us that all the bad things are gonna go away when we follow him. That's the biggest lie that's been taught in Western Christianity is that if you follow Jesus, everything's gonna be great. And that's what Christianity is all about. But we trust in him despite danger, not because danger is absent. There's a reason... Uh, In the second half of verse four, he says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd has to carry a rod and a staff to fight off the wolves, not because there are no wolves. And and so we have to understand that we're not gonna have just this picture-perfect cookie-cutter life just because we follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. There's still gonna be some hard things. There's, There's still gonna be some bad things happen but what we can trust in is jesus is going to preserve us through that but he's also going to produce something through that look at john 16 jesus speaking to his disciples and and he's making very clear how hard things were about to get for them okay jesus never told anyone that following him was going to be easy And he's making it painfully clear to the disciples in John chapter 16, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this uh, that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me. I understand why the disciples had some questions there. That's hard for me to understand too. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her, house, because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now you have asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive that your joy may be full so what Jesus is saying there he's just telling the disciples hey life's not going to be great in in the coming months and years I just want to let you know that it's going to be hard he said but it's producing something that's going to be worth it and he gives us this image of of a mother bearing a child Okay, it, that's not a pleasant experience most of the time, okay, or any of the time. I don't, uh, it, it's a very painful experience. We were promised that that was going to be a painful experience back in Genesis chapter 3 when God issued the curse. However, all the anguish and all the pain seems to, um, if it doesn't completely disappear, it at least um, is dulled because it, it's, it's so overwhelmed by the joy of having a child, And that's what Jesus is comparing the Christian life to. He's saying, hey, I'm not telling you that this is going to be easy. In fact, I'm telling you most of the time it's going to be really, really hard, but it's going to be worth it. What you get at the end of this is going to be worth it. And and when you live your life constantly upset because you don't know why these bad things are happening and and you're like, I I, I just, I don't know why all this stuff is happening. I'm I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I'm following Jesus. Well, Jesus never promised that that would get you everything you want. What he promised was at the end of it, it's going to be worth it. That's why Paul can say that um, everything he'd gone through was a light and momentary affliction. And Paul went through some stuff He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked, he was arrested, he was beaten. Uh, He constantly had to flee for his life. Paul went through some stuff and at the end of it, he said, it's really not that big a deal compared to what's coming. He said, the joy that I'm gonna have at the end of all this is so great that all this horrible stuff that I'm going through right now doesn't really matter that much. So we have to understand that the joy and the hope, it's pointed towards the future. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hard things right now. And then you get into um, verse 5 of of Psalm 23. And and this is really one of the hardest verses in this chapter, the hardest verse. that It was the hardest for me to wrap my mind around. And and, and so let's read it first, then, then I'll explain why. It says, you prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And, and so what we see here is we see a picture of Jesus being the ultimate host. Okay, when we went through Luke chapter 7 and, and we, we talked about the, Simon the Pharisee having Jesus come to his house and the woman of the city come, we talked about all these uh, rules um, regarding hospitality that they had in the ancient Near East. Okay, you're supposed to uh, anoint your, your guest head with oil. You're supposed to wash their feet. You're supposed to have this massive meal, all of this stuff. And what Jesus is saying is, at my feast, at the feast that I'm hosting for my people, you're going to have more than you could ever imagine. And in fact, you can, you can have that feast. You, you can have this um, overwhelming presence and joy in Christ in the midst of your enemies and so that's such an amazing picture because you just think of you're surrounded by enemies and he's saying you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies like david is painting this picture of someone who is so unconcerned with his enemies he he has so much trust in his shepherd in his protector that he's going to sit down and have a feast when his enemies are all around him and his cup is going to overflow and that's such an important image because if, if you remember, like you were supposed to have, you were supposed to waste food at a feast. Like if you didn't have enough food to throw away at the end, then you didn't provide enough. Okay, they, they wanted you to have more than you needed. And it, it was the same with wine. Okay, the cups needed to be full. If people started, you know, coming back for refills and you were only pouring it, half, you know, filling it halfway up, um, many scholars believed that that was actually a sign that the host wanted the guest to leave. Is when they weren't filling their cups all the way up. And so to feel welcome, to feel honored, you had to fill that cup up. Okay? Sonic could learn from this. Get rid of some of the ice. Put a little more Coke in there or cherry limeade. Tired of getting cheated. <clears throat> you just need enough ice just to make it cold. You don't have, Anyway. so he gives us this image of despite being surrounded by your enemies you can have this feast in which you just experience this overwhelming presence and welcomeness and honor from christ but here's what always has always troubled me about this verse and and it's made it really difficult for me to wrap my mind around how do we actually experience that in real life and it's the same with lying down in green pastures and, and being led to the still waters. Like We love to take these verses and put them on coffee mugs or T-shirts or Facebook posts and, and, and they're really inspiring and we're just like, oh, I have all of this comfort and security in Christ, but how does that, how, does, how do we experience that in real life? How does that become a reality to us? And, and, and it made me ask the question, you know, what, what's in the cup? Like when he's talking about the cup being overflowing, what, what, what is he talking about? And I'm speaking metaphorically, I don't want to know what's in your Yeti cup that you carry around that makes you feel good. But What, what, what is it? How does how this made real to us? Because we can sit here all day long and talk about Jesus being the good shepherd and our cups overflowing and we have this banquet feast and we're lying down in green pastures, but how is that made real to us? And in Romans chapter 5, Paul has some really good insight to what's in the cup, to how we can really grab a hold of what's being taught in Psalm 23. In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8, it says, but God shows his love for us through whom we have now received reconciliation. So I want you to remember that, the, the promise that we have of being saved from the wrath of God in Christ, and then flip over to Romans chapter 15. In verse 13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you want to know what's in the cup? Do you want to know what makes this imagery in Psalm 23 real to us? It's belief and hope. That's what makes it real because what, what, all these images are great but there has to be something that makes them real to us and that's what Paul is explaining to us in Romans, if, if you want to lie down in green pastures, if you want to be led to the still water, if you want to have a feast in the midst of your enemies, if you want to have an overflowing cup, you have to believe in the message of the shepherd. The reason we can have all of this security and hope and, and just this quiet assurance in the midst of chaos is is by clinging to the gospel, by clinging to Jesus Christ, by trusting that he is saving us, that he is preserving us. That is how that's made real. It's not some super emotional moment to where you just have like this supernatural um, experience, overwhelming experience of God's presence. And, and, and I've heard of people say that they have these experiences, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But until you have this intellectual realization of the hope that we have in Christ, none of this is going to be made real to you. None of this security, none of this assurance is going to be made real to you. Because when bad things happen, okay, when you lose a loved one, when you can't pay your bills, when you lose your job, when you have a child go astray, whenever your entire world falls apart, just simply saying, well we're lying down in green pastures or or my cup overfloweth. None of that really means anything unless it's rooted in the knowledge of the hope that we have in the gospel. That's where it's made real. Just covering up, there's so many times that we don't even let ourselves grieve properly because we don't want to process it. We just cover it up with like these false silver linings. Oh, well, God, you know, God's working this through this horrible situation or, or whatever. Well, here's the truth. Most of the time, it's just something really bad that happened, and you're never going to understand why it happened. But we can have this calm assurance because we know that somehow Jesus is working it to his purpose and working it to our good and until you can have just that intellectual realization of that truth right there none of this is going to be made real to you our lives should be consumed by the by Christ and his gospel how often do you think about the saving work of Jesus how often do you look forward to his coming how often do you give thanks for his grace how often do you take time to look at the work he's doing within you as an individual or within the church as a whole Answering these questions uh, will, will help you find out why you don't have peace or joy. It's probably because you never think about Jesus, you never think about your Savior, you never think about the hope that you truly have in Him, and so it can't be made a reality to you. You might discover that your cup is not overflowing and you're not lying down in green pastures because you're ignoring the shepherd. Every single day needs to be focused and centered on Christ. Which leads us to the last point of this. And and we've kind of bounced around in Psalm 23. We're going to end on verse 3. I know that's kind of out of order. But it's really important for us to to grasp this concept. In verse 3 of Psalm 23, it says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's a very important reminder that gets lost many times is that Jesus is very gracious, he's very merciful, he's very loving, but it's all for his glory. Christianity, church, worship, none of this should be about us. It should be about Christ. If the way you worship, if the way you read your Bible, if the way you pray puts you at the center more often than Christ then you're doing it wrong. See, Jesus doesn't need us. God does not need us to glorify himself. Uh, in Acts 17, verse 24 through 25, Paul is preaching on, uh, in Athens. And he, he's preaching to the Athenians and, and, and he says that um, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by the hands of men, as though he needed anything. God doesn't need us to glorify himself. The fact that he chooses to use us to glorify himself and does it in a way that, that blesses us and that shows us mercy and grace is, is amazing and it's worthy of worshiping him. It, it's worthy of Jesus being at the center and so the whole point of this is when we think about lying down in green pastures and we think about all these wonderful things that come from christ we have to be very careful to not focus on those not focus on the things that the shepherd gives us but focus on the shepherd and worship and praise him we don't get to be the hero jesus is <clears throat> jesus said if he wanted to he could make the rocks worship him he said, I, I don't need you. I, I, I can glorify myself any way I want to. But in his grace and mercy, he chose to use broken, rebellious, stubborn sinners like me and like you to carry out his purpose. And that's what makes him worthy of praise. That's what makes him worthy of all of our focus and all of our effort and all of our enthusiasm problem is we too often focus on the green pastures and the still water and not the shepherd that leads us there so i want to encourage you this morning uh just to examine your own life and ask yourself what are you focusing on whether it's your prayer life you're worshiping here this morning we're we're about to sing a song or, or are you focusing on making yourself feel good by singing and and are you are you trying to recharge your batteries for the week or are you here to worship the Savior. As you go throughout your week, what, what do you think about most of the time? Do you think about Jesus and his saving work and, and his worthiness and his grace and his mercy, or do you just think about yourself all the time? Because if you're not focused on Christ, you're never going to experience the things that we see in Psalm 23. You're never going to experience uh, the, this peace that David was able to write about here in Psalm 23. So i urge you this morning to stay focused on Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy, God. You you don't need us. We add nothing to you, take nothing away from you, but you have chosen to use us uh, in in your plan to glorify yourself, God, and we thank you so much for that. And I just pray that that's made a reality to everyone here this morning and, and that they would live lives that are focused on you that are focused on worshiping you and praising you and god that as a local church we would stay so focused on you that that we would have unity in that mission to glorify you and and honor you and, and that there would have peace among us because all we're focusing on is you and not ourselves in jesus name amen